The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. Have you ever felt like your life is out of control because you made a huge mistake? I knew control was a huge issue for John before we were married. But rather than running for the hills, I flew closer like a moth to the flame. They say a girl marries her father. It looked like I'd become the cliché. Coming up on Life Today, Bible teacher and author Sheila Walsh helps us learn to let go and trust God. I'm Sheila Walsh. Welcome to Wednesdays in the Word. If you've been tuning in the last couple of Wednesdays, you know that we've been talking about the longing in me. You know, do you ever find yourself in a situation where you think, if I just had this, then I would be happy? Um, and then you get that, but the longing remains. I was so aware of that for a couple of years, and it led me to really into a deep study in the life of King David. Uh, and then I was able to record um, the Longing in Me DVD Bible study series. Um, I'd love to put this into your hands, and I'll tell you how we can do that just a little bit later. But here's what we're talking about today, the longing for control. You know, control is a big word, particularly for us girls. And part of it comes from a good place. You know, we want our, our homes to be a place of order and peace. We want our husbands to be happy. We want our kids to be doing well. But what happens when people just don't line up and they don't pay attention? Then that desire for control can move into a really unhealthy place where we almost start manipulating people. And in my own life, honestly, what has shifted me is not that I've become um, a more spiritual person. It's this understanding, this profound understanding that we have a God who not only is in control, but who can be trusted. Watch this. spending time near the ocean. There's something about the sound of the waves and the wide open expanse of water that always brings with it a sense of calm and clarity. But the day-to-day -day reality for the inhabitants of this stretch of beach is not so idyllic. Every 12 hours, their lives are literally turned upside down. During high tide, they're underwater and they're battered by wind and waves. In low tide, they're exposed to the baking sun and hungry predators, but they thrive and they survive because they've learned to let go and adapt. We must learn a similar lesson to let go and let God lead us. After John and I were married, we moved into his lovely little house in North London. He was very involved in the Christian music world and was determined to make me the next big thing. But honestly, I didn't want to be the next big thing. I really just wanted to serve God. And I also knew I was too broken to bear the scrutiny and pressure of a world where musicians are continually judged on their last performance. But I just didn't know how to say no. The following years for me now are a blur. 
meet and greets, photo shoots, night after night after night of concerts and motels. By 1992, my schedule was killing me. Monday through Friday, I co-hosted the 700 Club. Then I ran from that set to my own 30-minute show. Friday and Saturday were concert nights, and I was in a different city every night. Sunday, spent in the airport getting me home so I could start the treadmill all over again. I pleaded with John to let me stop traveling on weekends, but he believed if I stopped performing, I'd lose my place in the music industry. I didn't really care. I was so tired and I felt so alone. My life had spiraled out of control. I knew I needed just one night to get away from everything and just spend time with the Lord. Well, I didn't plan my escape very well. I grabbed my toothbrush, deodorant, and a T-shirt, and I left a note in the kitchen telling John I'd be back the next day. I wasn't sure where to go. I just wanted one night to be alone. I found a small motel, and I checked in. By 3 a.m., I woke to a loud banging on my door. I looked through the peephole, and there was John. He was angry and ordered me to get my stuff and go. I tried to explain, I just want one night alone, but he wouldn't listen. Now, I don't believe now that John was any kind of threat to me that night. He was angry and, yes, controlling, but he just wanted to go home and not talk about it again. But I wasn't able to tell my heart and my mind that then. When someone, particularly a man, got angry with me in those days, I literally feared for my life. It wasn't reasonable, but it was very real to me. I knew control was a huge issue for John before we were married, but rather than running for the hills, I flew closer like a moth to the flame. They say a girl marries her father. It looked like I'd become the cliché. Control is a big issue for women. We all know that. Part of it is birthed in a healthy place. You know, we want to fashion our homes into peaceful places. We want to protect our children. And if we're married, we want our husbands to succeed and to feel fulfilled. We want our families and friends to love and to serve God. These are all good things. But when those around us don't cooperate with our efforts to control, we're left with a few choices. We can spiritualize the situation and say, the reason that we're upset is because we don't believe this is what the Lord wants. Or we can punish the person and say, well, that's fine if that's what you want to do, but I won't be part of it. Or worst of all, we can withdraw. We don't yell and scream at that person. We just choose not to talk to them at all. But actually, there's another choice. We can give up our attempts at control, let the person do their worst, and see what God will do. But it's never quite that straightforward, is it? Just ask David. When we left David, the scent of victory permeated him. A young shepherd boy had accomplished what no warrior would even attempt. David's world changed the day he killed Goliath. He wasn't allowed to return to the life he knew. He was brought into the palace. But when King Saul saw the way the people loved David, he did what all people do when they haven't surrendered to the sovereignty of God. He plotted to get rid of the threat. David didn't see it coming because he'd done absolutely nothing to deserve it. 
In fact, Saul's evil plans came on the heels of David's victory over Goliath. But if Saul's antagonism was extreme, so was his son Jonathan's devotion to David. Many writers paint pictures of David and Jonathan as if they were two giddy teenagers, but that's actually far from the truth. You had to be 20 years old to be in the army of the Israelites. Now, David was only 18, but Saul made him a high-ranking officer in the hopes that David would be killed in battle. But Jonathan, he was already commanding a third of the army and had won two great victories. So it's quite possible that Jonathan was closer to age 40. What's more significant about this is that Jonathan stood in direct line to the throne. Although he was a mature, seasoned officer, he recognized the hand of God on his friend David. And unlike his father, he submitted to God's choice. Clearly, Jonathan longed more for the will of God than his own position. But still, Saul was king and he wanted David out of the way. So David was forced to abandon the palace and leave everything behind. Even though David knew he was the Lord's chosen one, he did not retaliate or force his hand. He didn't try to sway others to his side. Instead, he left alone. That speaks volumes to me about David's heart. When we're wronged, we want people to know about it. Like when there's a church split, we rarely leave alone. If our family falls apart, we want people to know our side of the story. We're afraid that leaving by ourselves signals to people that we're admitting we were in the wrong. But it can mean something so much greater. It can mean we have completely surrendered control of our future to God. So David left alone, which was a good thing. But then he made a very poor choice that cost some godly men and their families their lives. David ran to the high priest Ahimelech in the town of Nob. When the priest saw David alone, he knew that something was wrong. It made no sense that David, who was commander of the royal bodyguard, was there on his own. But instead of confiding in Ahimelech, David lied. He told him he was on a secret mission for Saul and that his men would be joining him soon. He was so desperate to control an out-of-control situation that instead of waiting on God for the next step, he came up with it himself. That's so easy to do. It seems innocent enough. David didn't have time to answer a ton of questions, so out of fear, he took control. He asked the high priest for bread and a weapon and then left but unfortunately not before being seen by Saul's chief herdsman. You never know who's watching when you're someplace you shouldn't be. Let me just say that one more time. You never know who's watching when you're someplace that you shouldn't be. You never know how the lie you told will escalate. If David had relinquished complete control to God and told the truth, the priest would just have asked him to leave because his allegiance was to the king. But instead, the priest gave David everything he asked for. Meanwhile, Saul heard that David was hiding out with a ragtag bunch of men. They were hardly an army. Instead, they're described as men in trouble, in debt, or just plain fed up with life. But Saul wanted David's head. 
And when he went off on a tirade, the herdsman who'd seen David with the high priest spoke up. And by doing so, he signed the death warrant of not only the high priest, but also 84 other priests who served with him. Saul ordered the high priest to be brought to him. This humble servant of God was dragged in like a common criminal. Then Saul ordered his men to kill all 85 of the priests of Nob and their wives and children too. Well, they refused. Only the herdsmen obeyed Saul. Well, one boy escaped. He ran and ran until he found and told David about the massacre of everyone he knew and everyone he loved. I can't imagine how David must have felt, especially as a man with a tender heart toward God and others, to realize that inadvertently he'd caused the deaths of so many must have been, well, must have been an unbearable burden. One moment of grabbing control when he felt he had to come up with a plan of his own had ended with tragic repercussions that cost so many so much. Well, David, he couldn't change what evil had occurred. He couldn't undo the damage that he'd done. All he could do now was live differently and wiser. And it's the same for us. When we've grabbed control of a situation that we should have left alone or left something undone we should have done, we can't go back. But by God's grace, we can move forward. My dear friend, Barbara Johnson, profoundly lived out this truth of forward momentum. I knew her as a best-selling author, but I'd never met her. And I didn't know the extent of her heartbreaking story until I invited her to be a guest on my television show. And honestly, she didn't look like a best-selling author. She looked like my mum. She was wearing a bright purple dress and had the same shampoo and set I've done for my mum a hundred times. But when she began to talk, her story instantly captivated me. She spoke about what it was like to walk into a cold, sterile, strange-smelling room to identify her youngest son sent home from Vietnam in a body bag. At first she thought they'd got it wrong. That's not my son, she cried, but it was. The horrible reality was that he had been lying face down in a rice paddy for three days and was unrecognizable as her baby boy. Barbara lost her eldest son too in a devastating car crash somewhere in Canada. Once more, she had to go to the very same morgue and identify another son. I could hardly breathe as she talked. I couldn't imagine the horror of all that. But Barbara said it was her third son and a very different situation that taught her the greatest lesson about control. She was sorting through some things in her son David's room and came across a pile of homosexual pornography. It horrified her. This son was their golden boy with such a bright future ahead of him. When she confronted him with what she'd discovered, the conversation went very badly. He told her he'd known for some time that he was gay. She was hurt and she was angry, and she said things that she later regretted, but it was too late to take them back. Her son David left, and she didn't see him again for seven years. 
Seven years is a long time to be separated from your child, particularly when you've already buried two. She didn't know where he was or if he were dead or alive. Have you ever, have you ever been in a devastating place like that? It might be a word or an action that you just cannot take back. It might be how your child is living right now and you've no control over that child's behavior. It might be a marriage that's broken because of something you said or did and you have no control over whether your spouse will forgive you. I mean, what do you do? You do what David did when he was on the run with a few disenfranchised men. You do what Barbara chose to do. By God's grace, you redeem the situation in the meantime. And yes, waiting can be a very mean time. During the years that Barbara's son was gone from her life, she started something called Spatula Ministries for moms who need to be scraped off the ceiling because of difficult situations with their children. Not only that, she began to reach out to those with AIDS. Years later, I asked Barbara how she survived those difficult years. She told me that when you give your heartache and pain to God and trust Him with the outcome, there is such freedom. She was actually most known for the phrase, whatever, Lord. Can you do that? Can you bring what feels so out of control to God, knowing he is good and he loves you and trust him with the timing? Can you bring the thing that you long to fix to God, give it to him and trust him with the outcome. Quite a challenge, huh? But it's one of those strange dichotomies in life that when you come to the place where you're able to say, okay, I'm relinquishing control, I'm giving up, you actually discover that you're freer and more secure than you've ever been. And something that I noticed in my last trip when I was in Angola, Africa, you know, we have this phenomenal privilege through life, and you've helped us do this so many times, you know, to, to give a, a bowl of food to a hungry child, to put a water well in and see water for life. But one of the things I had the privilege of doing on my last trip was to put a pair of shoes on a little boy who'd never had shoes in his life. He was quite a little character. He wouldn't smile at me in the feeding line. And, and yet he followed me around all the time we were in his camp. And I remember, and I said to one of our team, don't we have a pair of shoes left? And they said, yeah, we do, they're in the truck. So I went, I got them. And I sat this little boy right beside me um, and I put the shoes on him. He still wouldn't smile, but boy, you should have seen him when he finally jumped off that wall. He went running around the village showing everybody so little can do so much. So we're going to ask you to join us in something. But first of all, I kind of want to take you with us and let you see what that looks like. So here's this feed. Please watch this. It's been quite an amazing year. Through your help, we've been able to feed thousands and thousands of children. We've been able to put water wells in villages. And also a new venture, you probably remember, for the first time we've been able to, to work with children who have club foot. I mean, you've helped us change the lives of children all around the world. 
You know, at Christmas time, I know that you think of your kids and you want to do something really special for them. Well, I also know that you want to do something really special for children like these. If you look at this darling little one um, here in Angola, he's like every other little boy or girl I've seen, he has no shoes. And we thought, wouldn't it be cool to be able to let every boy and girl have their very own pair of shoes? Not just because it'll save them from cutting their feet when they run, but so many diseases in these countries come through injuries to the foot, like hookworm comes through the foot. So what a wonderful thing to do in this season, to say to little ones, um, like this little darling boy in Angola, hey, you can have your very own pair of shoes. So on behalf of my little brother, may I simply say, obrigada. And that was the extent of my vocabulary. That's all I know in that language. But honestly, isn't that amazing? I mean, to see the look on that little boy's face when he took off. So here's what I'm thinking. Do you ever get kind of fed up over the holiday season because of all the excess? Too much food, too much spending. So here's the deal. We're going to change all that. We are actually going to change the lives of some children. So I want to get this DVD to you. I, I mean, I prayed over this. I asked God to help me help you. So here's the deal. For any gift at all, we're going to send you this. This is darling. This is a little Christmas tree ornament of one of our shoes, exact replica. Now, for any gift you send in, we'll send you that and we'll send you the DVD. But if you send us $180, we're going to give you, I mean, look at this. These are all the little Christmas shoes we've offered over the year. I mean, they're so beautiful, lots of different colors. And $180 will help provide 50 pairs of shoes. I mean, that's absolutely amazing. And not only are we doing that, we're doing something really special for some children. In fact, I'm thinking of one little one in particular. Um, this little one had a very severe cleft palate. Um, I don't know if you know what that looks like, but it's hard to look at. But here's something I hadn't even thought of. He'd never seen what he looks like because they don't have mirrors. And while our crew was over there, someone, I mean, it's something we do all the time over there. We'll take a photo of them and then we'll let them see themselves. And they think it's so funny. They always laugh. Not this little one. It's the first time he'd ever seen what he looked like. And he was horrified. So what we did was we thought, okay, dude, we're not bailing on you now. We're not just going to show you what, we look like, what you look like now. We're going to go all the way with you. So we were able to get a surgery for that little boy. And now he has a smile on his face. And honestly, it doesn't take that much. I mean, think of the times you think, why did I buy my kids 53 presents when 52 would probably have, have done? But this makes such a difference. Do you know we get these shoes for just over $3? We worked with this great company who said, hey, we'll help you do this. And I've watched all these children in these villages. You know, I've walked down to water wells with them where even in my boots, my feet are hurting because the rocks. And these children have to walk with no shoes on. And to think that a little one through a simple cut on their foot would get hookworm that actually can end their lives. So please, let's make this the best Christmas ever for your family and for the families overseas. Can you imagine what it means to a mother there to think that a mother, a father, a teenager somewhere watching this program thought, no, no, you know what? I'm going to do something for you. So please, will you go to your phone right now and make the best Christmas gift you, you can or go online, lifetoday.org, and let's make this a Christmas to remember. Poverty is a killer 
And because of it, children needlessly suffer, not only from a lack of food and clean water, but also from a lack of things we take for granted, such as a healthy smile or a simple pair of shoes. For most of these children, they've never owned a new pair of shoes. And while that may seem minor in the light of all their needs, walking with bare feet puts them at risk of life-threatening infections that could lead to crippling consequences, disease, and even death. By responding today, you can help life immediately secure and begin shipping Christmas shoes to 150,000 children around the world, just in time for the holidays. Your gift of $36 will help provide 10 pairs of shoes. A gift of $72 will help provide 20 pair. And a gift of $180 will help provide 50 pairs of Christmas shoes for children in need. With your gift of any amount, be sure to request this beautifully crafted blue metal shoe ornament, a treasure to place on your tree each holiday season. With your gift of $180 or more, you may also request this keepsake boxed set of life's Christmas shoe ornaments. Finally, please consider a gift of $1,000 or more to help provide over 275 pairs of shoes or two children with corrective cleft palate surgeries, and you may request our Majesty Bronze Sculpture. Please call, write, or make your gift online today. You know, here is uh, one group of uh, the most beautiful children. These children are in Central America. And these are just a few of the uh, children that we want to bless with pairs of shoes. You think about that and what it's going to do for their, their family. I've said to you over and over that it's one thing to pray for people, but it's another thing to become an answer to somebody's prayer, someone's need. And the Bible tells us very clearly in one place as an example, many places, but one very clearly, Isaiah 58, that when you reach out and you touch those in need, then you call and God says, I will answer quickly. We get our prayers answered. And Betty, it's been amazing to see what happened in our lives and we just begin to bless others and giving shoes is one way to bless it others. Is. And to me, it's such a rewarding thing to do. You know, I, we, we come over here to be a blessing, but we always go back so much more blessed, James, I think, because we see what can be done. We see the needs here, but we know that our friends, because they love children, they love to give, they love to share. That's you I'm talking about. You'd love to help and in any need that we share with you. And, and this is a real need, shoes for the children. Thanks so much. Um, I'm just so grateful for the way that you partner with us. But here's the amazing news. Do you know that for $1,000, you can provide two surgeries? That's two children's lives changed forever. So maybe talk to your husband and wife. In fact, my husband and I, we've already talked about it. We've decided that for Christmas gifts to each other, we're gonna give two surgeries. I mean, what a joy. I mean, who needs one more pair of shoes or for themselves or and another sweater? Another, you don't need one more ugly Christmas sweater. But if you will give us any gift, we'll send you this DVD, which I hope will bless you. But also we will be able to put shoes on the feet of children and a smile on the face of children that might have never smiled before. Love you so much. See you next time.
Belonging in Me with Sheila Walsh Study Guide, available now online. Aaron and Amanda Crabb, tomorrow on Life Today. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.